Live from Chatterbox Sports Studios, it's Off the Bench with Tom Brenneman. Good morning, good morning, a pleasant good Monday morning. Hope everybody had a great weekend. We welcome you to our Chatterbox Studios in the heart of Hamilton, Ohio, and welcome to Off the Bench, presented by our good friends from United Dairy Farmers. I'm Tom Brenneman. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Casey, Lindsay, how we doing? Good, how are you? Yeah. What was okay. it like to be a college student this weekend, Lindsay? Was it fun? <laughs> it we can really... live vicariously through you a little bit? Yeah, I had a lot of fun. It's really nice. Out and about? Out at the bars. I went to a bar to watch the UC game on Saturday. Wasn't great, but no. you know. Sorry no. for your loss. Yeah, hard watch, but. Yeah, yeah. Life of a college student. Man. You miss it, don't you, Tom? Uh, who does it? It's like they were getting on that kid who's in his ninth year the other day. Good morning, by the way. Reed, Elliot, how we doing? I'm doing great. But they were getting on that kid the other day who's coming back for a ninth year to play college football. Did you see that story? <laughs> no, I did not see that. All right, he's coming back for a ninth year. Yeah. He's a tight end, good player. Uh, has had a lot of injuries, obviously. Right. Um, I don't know what his chances are to reach the um, NFL. But, you know, the, the, the question was posed, me and some buddies. If you had a ninth year of college compared to going out in the real world, right? Where you got to pay bills instead of somebody else paying your bills, right? You got to pay rent or pay a mortgage or whatever. All the, pay your electric bill, your water bill, all of it, right? Why not just stay in college for another year? I can't because if, if I was... In my ninth year of college, I would still be in college. Well, I, I would, yeah, st- I would for still sure. be there at my age right now. And I don't know. That is that. Is, that doesn't sound very appealing to me, Tom. Yeah, yeah. I, don't, I, I think I'm out on that. But I listen. Good for him. Nine years, huh? COVID year. A couple extra COVID years there. Yeah. He's he's using them all. Using them all. Using them all. Um, we come your way Monday through Friday, ten hey. to twelve. Hey. And you can join us. On YouTube, the Chatterbox Sports page. We also broadcast live on X. And after all his picks, I would think that um, Reed Mouse might have Elon Musk kind of dough this weekend, after this weekend. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That is on Seabox Sports. If you'd rather join us in podcast form, by all means, search off the bench with Tom Brenneman and you are dialed in. We're down to the final four of the NFL's postseason after a big weekend of football. It all started Saturday, where for one half, The Texans gave top seed Baltimore a game, but one half is all it would be. In the second stanza, Lamar Jackson proved he is indeed the most valuable player in the National Football League. He threw two touchdowns. He rushed for 100 yards and two more touchdowns. Baltimore outscores Houston 24-zip over the final 30 minutes in a 34-10 route to advance to the AFC title game at home next weekend. Now, who would they play? That was a big one last night. What a game it was. Had five lead changes there in the second half. Snowy Buffalo. The Kansas City Chiefs beat the Bills 27-24 in a game that lived up to all the hype. Great game. Everyone will blame the the Bills field goal kicker, Tyler Bass, who missed a 45-yard field goal with a buck 43 left. But let's be honest, the Bills, they had so many chances to win this game and simply just could not get it done. They got every break in the game. I mean, Kansas City's getting ready to go for basically a game-sealing touchdown, 
and the ball's fumbled out of the end zone for yep. a touchback. Yep. We'll get into all these games. But in the fourth quarter, you know, first series, three and out. Second series, they turn it over on downs after a failed fake punt. Stephon Diggs. How many balls did he drop last night? Including what would yep. have been a 65-yard yep. touchdown. And as great as Josh Allen was, and he was, he missed a lot of open receivers and potential scores on that final drive. Buffalo did not have a single play in the game of over 20 yards from scrimmage. For the Chiefs, look, they are it. Say whatever you want. Like them, hate them. They just find ways to win every year. They had a season-high eight plays of better than 20 yards. Patrick Mahomes will play in his sixth consecutive AFC title game. Kansas City goes to Baltimore. What a game that figures to be. Now, over on the NFC side, the San Francisco 49ers were the first team in 13 years to make the playoffs without overcoming a second-half deficit to win. So what's that mean, right? It means they're really good at getting the lead and finishing games off. But what it also tells us is that they haven't done it all year, needing a fourth-quarter rally to win a game. Well, Brock Purdy must have been saving up. On a rainy night when he was clearly off most of the night, throw after throw, when it mattered the most, he was 6 of 7, 47 yards on that final drive to lead the Niners to a 27-24 win. The Niners advance to the NFC Championship game for the third consecutive year. This time will be the first time they will play it at home. And guess who's coming to town? The fighting Chris Spielmans, the Detroit Lions. Jared Goff, two touchdowns to beat Tampa Bay 31-23. Detroit advances to the NFC Championship game for the first time in 32 years and only the second time in franchise history. The Lions won two playoff games in the same year for the first time since 1957, the last year they won an NFL title. The franchise has never played in, obviously never won, a Super Bowl in the modern era. So looking ahead to Championship Sunday, the Ravens and the Chiefs are at 3 o'clock on CBS. The Lions and the Niners on Fox at 6.30. Bengals offensive coordinator Brian Callahan is getting second interviews to become a head coach. The Titans, the Panthers, and the Falcons plan to have him for a second go-round this week. If he goes, does that mean quarterback coach Dan Pitcher is an ex-Bengals offensive coordinator? He's drawing a lot of interest from other teams around the league as well. You can't lose them both. You can't. College football, Ohio State's monster offseason continued over the weekend. It's really every day it's something else and all positive for them. They signed the number one quarterback in this year's class, Julian Sayan. He had committed to Alabama. And with Nick Saban out, he's coming to Columbus. Ohio State also has the fourth highest rated quarterback in that class as a freshman this year, Aaron Nolan. College hoops. Win a tight one, lose a tight one. That's a story for UC. Every game a thriller. Every game seems to come down to one possession or a trip to the free throw line. 
And that was the case on Saturday when they fell to Oklahoma. 69-65, free throws continue to be a major issue for this team. You can say whatever you want about it. You're shooting 60% from the line, you ain't winning tight games. They have zero time to worry about the Oklahoma game because tonight is their toughest test of the year. Their sixth straight game against a team ranked in the top 25. And this one is a trip to Fog Allen Fieldhouse to take on number three, Kansas. Scott Springer joins us from Cincinnati.com at 11. He's in Lawrence to cover the game. Xavier. Big time win. I was waiting for you to correct me. They get mad over there when they you do. Say it. Yeah, and, that's and how you pronounce should. it. But and they should get mad. Right, that's how you pronounce it. That's right. It's Xavier, as we know. What a come from behind win on Friday night. 92 91 thriller over Georgetown. Dalen Swain, a dunk with 30 seconds left for the game winner. Quincy Oliveri, 27.6 rebounds. And talk about a needed win. This was it. Because up next, a pair of ranked opponents on the road for the Muskies. Tomorrow night at number 18, Creighton. Then Sunday at number one, UConn. X hits a 10 and 8, 4 and 3 in the Big East. Congratulations to Stanford women's basketball coach Tara Vanderveer. Yesterday, she picked up career win number 1,203 to pass Duke legendary coach Mike Krzyzewski as the winningest head coach in college basketball history. Vanderveer is in her 38th season at Stanford. She started her coaching career at Ohio State in 1980. I was a sophomore in high school. That's unbelievable. She's in her 38th year at Stanford, as I mentioned. She's taken 34 of those teams to the NCAA tournament, 14 Final Fours, and three national titles. Speaking of women's basketball, did you see that Ohio State 192 overtime win over number two Iowa yesterday? It, I mean, it was unbelievable. Legend Caitlin Clark scores 45 for the Hawkeyes in a loss. It was the largest regular season crowd for a women's basketball game this season. And the fans stormed the Clark, stormed the court, and apparently stormed Clark as well. Do we have this video, Casey? Yes, we do. Let's see it. You see that? A fan looking at their phone, bang. Not paying any attention and collides with Clark, who's just trying to leave the floor. Thoughts on that, if any, men? Tom, I actually would like to hear your thoughts on this. What are your thoughts on, on what happened there? Look, Storming the court has become routine all over basketball. Right. Sometimes okay? emotions. That's right. And, and, and so there's a lot of emotion here. But, I mean, th th this is something. It just happened to me yesterday. It happened to me yesterday. I'm walking down the sidewalk, right, going into this place, and some guy sitting there staring at his phone, and had I not said something, this dude would have hit me just like Caitlin Clark got hit. I mean, th this woman just played her heart out. She scores 45 points of their 98 in the game. All she's trying to do is get off the floor. 
and some idiot is running across the court, not even paying attention to where they're going. Caitlin Clark has a right to be on the floor. The fan does not have a right to be on the floor. Now, I don't know if Caitlin Clark is hurt, but she's the best thing that's happened to college basketball well, yes, in sir. Lord knows how long. No doubt about it. And I can only hope that she's not going to have any of her season cut off because they're running into some brain-dead fan running across just staring at their phone. Now, Say it, Elliot. Well, Tom, well, here's the thing. I've, I've been looking at the video. Casey's been showing it on the other monitor. I've seen it a couple times now on Twitter. It looks like, and again, this is just my opinion, Tom. It, it could be wrong. And by no means is it right for the fans to storm the, the court and interfere with players. But Caitlin did look like she did an unnecessary twirl, threw her hands up, Farewell. fell to the ground. It looks like, I mean, if I was watching a men's soccer game, that's what they call a flop. Now, I'm not going to say for sure it was a flop. But from my eyes, uh, certainly I feel like there could have been avoided the contact. It looked like the fan uh, that r rushed on the court, she, she tried to move out of the way, and Caitlin just ran straight into her. It looked like a little bit of a flop situation. But I'm not going to blame her. I'm just saying uh, she certainly took acting classes for that flop. What does she have to gain from flopping, from hitting this unsuspicious— if, if I'm hearing you right, you yeah. are saying that Caitlin— initiated the contact that's what it looked like because on the, video. the ohio yeah. state fan was trying to avoid it so what does caitlin clark have to gain from running into a fan who's running onto the floor what does she have to gain from that hmm i don't know well i, I guess what you could what's the motive here well i i you just lost a, a heartbreaker in ohio state and i think um the narrative will switch from that loss to caitlin clark being disrespected post game so you think she wanted sympathy I think that's I, – I, I'm not saying that for sure, but I'm saying I've looked at the video now several times and it appears to be a flop. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm siding with Kirby in the chat. I don't know how anyone is against Caitlin Clark in this situation. I'm not against Caitlin Clark. I, the fan is you wrong. You literally just work. accused her of, of trying I'm to flop. I'm just saying I've looked at the footage and it appears like she unnecessarily threw her hands up in the air and fell to the floor. Somebody but, just jumped in here, and I love Mark Fetters, but come on. He says she's a sore loser. I, I, I mean, how I in think, the world what are we does we talking about? have that take? You know what I think? I think that she was – she's just a gamer, guys. She's always – in the game mode, right? So when that happened, of course she flopped. She would do that in game two. She's just always ready to go all the time. Even when there's not a game going on, she's a gamer. Haynes for Ohio in the chat says, fans need to allow the opposing team to get off the court. That's true. And that's, that's on the security at these different arenas because it is, it is, it's a, it, it's a situation that more than likely there's no upside. There really isn't. Right. And I look, I got no problem with storming. I didn't have a problem. A lot of people made a big deal out of the UC fans doing it the other night. I didn't have a big deal with it. But nothing good is going to happen on these things. Somebody's going to get into a screaming match. Somebody's going to get shoved. We've seen kids get punched. Yep, right. Remember LeGarrette Blunt years ago? Mm -hmm. When at Boise oh, yeah. State and he dropped the guy? I mean... Nothing good is going to happen. Somebody can get hurt. It, it, you know, come on. Come on. Uh, and in golf, this was a big story yesterday. Reigning U.S. amateur champion Nick Dunlap became the first amateur since 1991 to win a PGA Tour event. Dunlap is a 20-year-old sophomore at the University of Alabama. Now, 
he can't win the prize money. He is an amateur. So the runner-up got the $1.5 million for finishing second place. How is that right? How, I, can you, can I thought, you forfeit your amateur status after you win, or do you have to declare before the tournament? It's a good question. Uh, we'll, ask Steve, we'll get Steve Flesh on sometime and ask him that question. Because, like, if I'm a college student, like, yeah, I'll, I'll keep my amateur status around. I'll keep it around. But if, like, if I win the $1.5 million and they go to you, like, do you want the money? It, it, it's the same as, like, do you want me to – do you want $10? Do you want me to pass it and get, give $20 to the next person? I <laughs> thought, like, I, I thought amateurs could win the money. I, I, I was under that assumption. But is it because he's in college? Is that why he can't? Amateurs can't win the money. That's, amateurs cannot win money. That's what – yeah. If you're a professional, if you make money from something. You're an amateur if you're not. Interesting. So why? So did did he decline professional status there? To, to so that's what I want to know. It, or like, earn your card though. So uh, there has to be something to before, you just declared it before it ever starts. Correct. Because like if it, there's no way that he's going to turn down 1.5 million dollars after right. the fact. So it's probably something that you have to declare before you go into the tournament. Like you sign up for the tournament knowing that you're going to forfeit any prize money. And you can't, that's re- right. you can't re- recant on that. That's right. And, I mean, if you stop and think about it for a second, look, everybody would love to have the $1.5 million, But even if you could change it, and obviously you can't. But if you could, you know, you got to remember now, all of a sudden by that one decision, all of a sudden Dunlap, he, he could still be a college student, but he can't play for the University of Alabama. He would immediately have to go to the PGA Tour um, school to try to get his card. Doesn't matter that he won an event. Right. He might have an exemption for that particular event next year. But he would have to go earn a card. And believe me, boys and girls, they have made it damn near impossible to get your PGA card. I mean, you have got to be on a roll. It used to be it was one tournament. One tournament. You had to have your A game. And the top six would go in and get their card. No longer the case. Multiple tournaments. Multiple levels of qualifying. I mean, the kid that that shot the lowest score ever at Pinehurst, kid from Marymount High School, five years ago, Will Grimmer. He broke Jack Nicklaus's amateur record at Pinehurst. This guy can't get his PGA Tour card. And there are 1,000 Will Grimmers out there. 10,000 Will Grimmers out there, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, it's tough. Tough sledding. All right, let's get to the football. Can anybody stop Baltimore? No. I, I think, think so. so. I'm with you, Reed. I, I, uh, I mean, come on. At listen, everyone is going is going to hate me for saying this, and I've been doing this all year long. I bet I bet Everett about going uh, the Kansas City Chiefs Don't going to the AFC Championship game. Bet them bet them two buckets. So you owe me two buckets of beer, Everett. But at what point are we going to stop belittling what this Kansas City Chiefs team is? At what point are we going to stop belittling what Patrick Mahomes has been able to achieve in his young career? This is his sixth AFC championship game. Only four quarterbacks in the history of the National Football League has been to more AFC championship or more conference championship games. That's more than Peyton Manning's been to. That's more than Aaron Rodgers has been to. That's more than Brett Favre has been to. And he's only been a starter for six years. Six for six. Now, I know that the Baltimore Ravens have pretty much blown out every single team that they've played. 
Really have. Like almost every single – me and Casey got in an argument about that last week. He said that the Houston Texans are the hottest team going into the postseason. And I said, what about the, the Baltimore Let Ravens? Let me give you some numbers on that to back you up, okay? The Ravens this year are 6-0 and against opponents mm-hmm. who were at least three games over 500. Right. 6-0, and okay? And listen to these point spreads in the game. They beat the Dolphins by 37. They beat the Seahawks by 34. They beat the Lions by 32. They beat the Texans over the weekend by 24. They beat the Jaguars by 16. The closest any team played them this year that was three games or better above 500. The 49ers, and they beat them 33 to 19, plus 14 spread. Now that is getting it done. I didn't mean to interrupt you, no, but that, well, that is kicking people's tail. That's why I felt so passionate last week when everyone was talking about the Houston Texans. And I, I sat here and I said, listen, nobody's, nobody's got a chance. Like the Texans don't have a chance, don't have a prayer against this Ravens team. And I was right, Mr. Tennant, Mr. Tennant, no. Sorry. A lot of people are calling you that. A lot of people are calling me Mr. Tannehill. Um, but listen here, guys. I, I don't – two things. The Baltimore Ravens have shown us all year long that they're the best team in the National Football League. But then, but then the Kansas City Chiefs have shown us over the last six years that they are the most formidable opponent in the National Football yep. League. So when you ask the question, can anyone stop the Baltimore Ravens, if there's one team that I think can – it's the Kansas City Chiefs. That's a, that's a top defense, Tom. That's a top defense. That's the best quarterback in the league in Patrick Mahomes. That's the best coach in the league in Andy Reid. It, everyone, all Bengals fans, hate this AFC Championship game. This was the worst worst possible yep. AFC Championship game. The team in your division, the Baltimore Ravens, versus the team that you've had to battle it out with over the last few years in the Kansas City Chiefs. You're arguably your two biggest rivals for a chance to go to the Super Bowl. But as a football fan, this is as good as it gets. It really is. I get that the Patrick Mahomes thing is tired for a lot of people, but at some point you've just got to respect the greatness that, it, that, that we are witnessing every single year. <laughs> you're all looking at me over here. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, yeah, you're right. Um, you were right about the Ravens being the hottest team. We all know my hatred for the Ravens. I just wasn't going to acknowledge them, and that's why I really was on the, the Texans. I still believe that the Texans were the only team – to probably be able to take down the Ravens. I don't think Mahomes is going to be able to do it. I really don't. You just look at how they played the Bills. Josh Allen had his way with that team for the most part. And there until was some, it mattered. Until it mattered. And I think Lamar is a little bit different. I think he's a little bit of a different cat this year. I think he's a lot better than Josh Allen this year. I don't think he's going to be missing the throws. I think he's going to get more yards on the runs. I think their run game is unbelievable. I think that Baltimore's offense, if I'm being completely analytical here, not being a fan, not trying to tear them down, mm-hmm. Lamar Jackson makes that offense damn near unstoppable. Yeah. There, there's just not a – you're not going to be able to, to hold them down. You're going to have to try to keep up with them. And unfortunately, I mean – I. I say that, that that the Chiefs have no chance, but the Chiefs did keep up with the, the Buffalo Bills. So, I don't know. It, it's going to be a great game. Um, 
I, I think that the, the Lamar, Lamar, though, it's just so hard to stop him. It's not, it's not going to be about the defenses. It's going to be about both offenses at the end of the day. I think, and again, I watched the game last night. First of all, Reed, Reed is right every year on this, but the, the, he came in in the studio and he's like, you know, the Bills and Chiefs, they need to be, they need to schedule that game three times a year. It should be, it should be put in the bylaws that they have to play each other in the regular season. And if hmm. well, they, they get to play each other again. Next it should year. be put and in the bylaws that we get to see like football fans deserve Patrick every, Mahomes v Josh Allen. Everybody. Every game delivers, every single Correct. one. But as you said, the Bills were you know the, the offense was grooving in that game. Yes, but they were getting. I mean, they were working for every single yard. They were they were using all three downs to cross the first down line every single time. Yep. And, and Tom said in the monologue there, zero plays over 20 yards. Chiefs had eight plays. Chiefs can go off whenever Patrick Mahomes feels like he wants to. Isaiah Pacheco has, has been a formidable running back for the past several weeks now. I think the Chiefs can absolutely beat um, the Ravens. The thing is, and I think this is the X factor, is they have a healthy Lamar Jackson. They have yet to have that, really, uh, especially this deep in the postseason where they haven't been in quite some time. Um, I think Lamar Jackson and the Ravens, I think they're a better overall team than the Chiefs, mm-hmm. but it is damn close, and it's hard to bet against the Chiefs. It happened, it happened two days ago now, but I, I, it's hard to just remember how dominant the Ravens looked in that divisional game yep. to, to the points that we were talking about. I mean, like they, they truly do at this moment in time, they look unstoppable. But as I mentioned earlier, if there's one team that I think can stop them, it's probably the team that has dominated this sport for now five and a half years, close to six years. If there is one thing I want to add to, the, to what Elliot said about Buffalo having to fight for their yards, right? I do agree with that. But if you're going to ask me who's better at grinding out yards, the Bills or the Ravens, the Ravens, they're going to be able to get those hard yards every single time. And I think they proved that against the Texans. I know you don't. You don't really like the Texans. Their defense was really good. You just look at the first half, and they held them to 10 points. It was till the end of the game where they started getting tired, worn down. Their offense wasn't moving. Then the defense started showing cracks after getting injuries. If the Ravens can wear down the Chiefs' defense, it's going to be really hard to stop well, them. That's the, that was the difference um, in yesterday. You're talking about how the Texans – um, got worn down in the second half. That's absolutely right. right. But if you notice what the Chiefs defense did yesterday, they played the opposite game. They were getting gashed on the ground against the Bills. I mean, Tony, Ro- Tony Romo couldn't stop talking about it. He's like, oh, man, the Bills are getting eight yards. Oh, this isn't good. This isn't doing his little Tony voice. But there in the second half, they weren't getting anything on the ground. The Chiefs came out in the second half and played, I think they had, what, 130, 140 yards rushing in the first half alone. And I think they only had 30 or 40 yards for the rest of the game because the Chiefs were, were – we're putting it to them there in that second half. Yeah, James Cook had four carries in the fourth quarter for negative seven yards. Right. They, 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 but, but, but look, here's what it comes down to, guys. What are we talking about at the end of the day? Who are we talking about? We're talking about the quarterbacks. Right. And this was my knock that I took a lot of heat from a lot of you, and I'll continue to take it, about the Bengals the last two years and the Ballyhooed offense. Guys are remembered. Their legacy is built on what they do at nut-cutting time. What happens with the the game on the line? The bottom line is the Buffalo Bills, when, when, when Kansas City came out of halftime, bang, touchdown, mm-hmm. bang, touchdown. And you're going, whoa, here we go. Mahomes, this is who they are. 
haven't won a road playoff game. Now they're in one, and here we go. The Buffalo Bills get the ball to start the fourth quarter, three and out. They then go one, two, three, forced to punt for a second straight time. They fake the punt, and it failed. They get it one more time. Allen takes him down the field, but as we said earlier, missed throws, missed receivers, and they missed the field goal. Now look, there are a lot of people that were involved in those three and out, three and out, missed field goal. A lot of people involved. But what we ultimately talk about is the ability to win the big one, to deliver the goods late. Now, a lot of people today are saying Josh Allen perhaps is reflective of Peyton Manning. He lost a couple of times to Tom Brady. It took him a little bit later on to finally break through and win that Super Bowl. And Lord knows, Allen would have as good a chance as anybody to be that kind of guy. He is a phenomenal player. But that's what we remember. We remember who did it and who didn't. And right now, you can talk about Lamar Jackson. You can talk about... Joe Burrow, you can talk about Josh Allen, you can talk about whoever you want to talk about. None of them is in the same league with Patrick Mahomes. None. And it's not even close. And for people to sit around and start talking about, oh, this next rivalry, a rivalry has to be one where the other team wins games. And you can say, well, Burrow has a winning record against Allen and Mahomes. That's true. I think he's 5-1 and one against those two guys, if I'm not mistaken. He's never That's lost to Allen. Two. What's that? He's lost to Patrick twice. Okay, 5-2. Right? Well, two. no, no, what? you're right. No, he didn't play this year. 5-1, and one. Yeah, just the one time in the AFC Championship. Game. Okay, so he's 5-1 and one against those two. And, and believe me, this isn't a knock in any form or fashion against Burrow. But the bottom line is, when you get to that next big game, Okay, in one year, it might be your AFC championship game. And that was two years ago, Burrow and the Bengals win the game. But then their biggest game that they've ever played, right? They didn't get it done. And they lose to the Rams in the Super Bowl. Now, does Mahomes get it done every single time? No. This will be his sixth. If I'm not mistaken, he's three and two in those AFC championship games. Lost to Tom, lost to Joe. Right. Okay. So, you know, look, has he been perfect? No. But nobody is Patrick Mahomes. Correct. I mean, it's not even debatable. I don't care who wins a league MVP. It, right, Casey? I mean, yeah, you, I mean, I mean you're going to put on your burrow pom-poms. No, now. I, I mean, mean <laughs> let, me, let me be very clear. Last year, I doubted Mahomes quite a bit. He won the Super Bowl. I backed off a bit. This year, they looked like they were a middling offense with no weapons, and we all pointed that out. And look where Mahomes is at now. I'm not I'm going to be completely analytical today. No fan is coming out of me today. Mahomes undoubtedly in this new without Tom Brady era is the greatest quarterback in this generation currently. Yeah. I mean if especially if he wins another Super Bowl. I mean that'd be 3, he would be right behind Tom Brady and and Joe Montana as the greatest of all time. Uh MVPs galore. Um I mean, what he's been able to do with an aging um, Hall of Fame tight end, Travis Kelsey, we all know that he's not been the same without 
the weapons that he's got at his disposal. He lost Tyreek Hill. He, he's lost Juju. He's lost a lot of receivers over the years and had guys drop balls like crazy. Um, leads the league in drops. Um, and he, he's made it to another AFC championship game. Now, I would argue that he's had um, a lot of luck, but that takes it takes a lot of luck sometimes to, to be great. And um, you got to acknowledge it that he, he is, even without some of that, that luck, he's still great. And, uh, yeah, I mean, Mahomes, phenomenal. Phenomenal. The one thing that I don't want people to take away from yesterday's game, because as Elliot alluded to, as I said it before, this game delivers every single time. But there's going to be some people today that are going to try and use this as uh, against Josh Allen, right? Use this as saying, Josh Allen can't get it done. The Bills are frauds, yada, yada, yada. He's gone up against Patrick Mahomes, who we just gave praise to for the last 10 minutes, now three times in the postseason. Everyone doesn't like when the comparisons get thrown out between the Tom Brady-Peyton Manning rivalry compared to this Patrick Mahomes-Josh um, Allen rivalry, but it looks awfully similar. It looks awfully similar. There's one guy that has dominated from the get-go, right? Patrick Mahomes, six consecutive AFC Championship games, two Super Bowls under his belt, three trips to the Super Bowl in the first five years that he started, it, and it might be a fourth year come next Sunday. And then there's Josh Allen, and people go like, well, Josh Allen hasn't done what Peyton Manning's done in the postseason. It's like, well, go check the tape on what Peyton Manning did. Peyton Manning didn't beat Tom Brady till his age 30 season. Mm -hmm. Till his ninth year, he did not make it to the Super Bowl. He didn't win a playoff game till his seventh year in the league. Yeah, they struggled. They very. It, it, it's it's incredibly similar. Yep. And I don't, I don't, it's not a one-for-one one comparison. It's not the exact same thing. It's not history repeating itself. But there are several similarities between that rivalry and this rivalry. So I don't want, I guess, I guess the point I'm trying to make is Patrick Mahomes' greatness does not take away from Josh Allen's. Yeah, right? that's right. Like Josh Allen is, is an incredible player. He's undoubtedly one of the five best, probably one of the three best, maybe even one of the two best quarterbacks in this league at this moment. The problem is, is that he just keeps running into the same buzzsaw. And at one point, you got you to gotta overcome it. But I don't think at this point you can, you can detract from what Josh Allen's been able to do. Nick Mormon makes a great point here, and this is true. Josh Allen had a better game yesterday than Burrow ever has had in the playoffs and is getting hammered for it for his kicker missing a 43-yard field goal. I mean, I disagree, but that's, that is what he it had is. A, Josh Allen had a great game, and, and to be fair, he is cer most certainly not the reason they lost that right. game. No. Right. Stephon Diggs no. dropped a 60-yard touchdown. Their kicker missed a routine kick. Their coach uh, is, and again, with respect to McDermott, it's, this has got to be it for him, right? I, I don't see a way in which they which they bring McDermott. Sean McDermott? They're not firing oh, him. Oh, I think so. Oh, I think so. No chance. I, no. I, think, I think it was preposterous. I, calling a fake punt. That was bad. It ended up not a, mattering. Call, it ended up not mattering up with not insane mattering. luck. Right. <laughs> but Sean McDermott calling a, a, a fake punt to DeMar Hamlin is the most Disney movie thing I've ever seen in my entire life. It was preposterous. If you're going to do a fake punt, just have Josh Allen there and just run a regular play on fourth down. Now, now Romo said in the broadcast five. that somebody checked out into that because the Chiefs only had 10 players on the field. That was made during the telecast by Romo. He said that was a call made by 
whoever is the captain to be able to make that call. Right. I don't know if it's Hamlin or somebody else. But they said that they noticed right away that Kansas City only had 10 players on the field. And that's why they checked into it. The McDermott did not call it. I mean, there's got to be some. There's got to be some guy there that says, "Guys, we're we're on the 30 yard line. We can't risk." I don't know. That that's got to be coaching still, right? It seems like you, you got to tell those guys like, "Hey, that's a season-ending play that you're running right. without without a timeout, without any without discussion." Any, yeah, without any discussion, it seems kind of ludicrous to me. Seems strange, but anyway, the point the the point being is that Josh Allen is a damn good quarterback. You could certainly make the argument he's the he's the second best quarterback in the league. Uh, and, and there's no need for me to say anything about Patrick Mahomes because we all know what he is. You know, but, I, but that game was certainly it, it's. I was getting worried that we weren't going to have good games this postseason, but luckily the Sunday games, both of them, pretty much delivered. Yeah. So. Well, the the second Saturday game was a good. I was game. a good one too. Yeah, I was, was going to say the too. last the last three games were, were pretty good. The first one was obviously a blowout, but the last three games were were pretty good. Um. You know, speaking of the Niners, and we brought up during this uh, during this this whole thing um, about them coming back to win. Look, everybody has an opinion on Brock Purdy. We've had different he opinions in in here about Brock Purdy. Uh, his numbers are staggering. Uh, his rate of success in terms of being a starting quarterback and winning games is unrivaled for a quarterback in his first year and a half as a starter. The guy never loses, it seems like, right? He got hurt last year in the NFC Championship game early on against uh, Philadelphia, which required, which I think we all forget. I was thinking about this last night. I mean, you know, you talk about coming back from injuries. Purdy, in the end of January last year, blows out his elbow, has to have surgery, and that dude's back on the field during training camp. A baseball pitcher, you'd be waiting another five months. This dude's back out there, leads his team to the number one seed in the NFC. It's a rainy day, rainy night in Santa Clara. Um, he clearly does not look good. His best weapon, as far as receivers go, Debo Samuel had to leave the game on the very first drive of the game with a shoulder injury. So now he's out. Purdy's a little off. Weather's a little off. They're playing a solid Green Bay team, even though their defense was not very good statistically coming into the game. But now this is, again, back to what I said five minutes ago. What are you remembered for? Are people going to remember that Brock Purdy missed a throw here, missed a throw there, should have had a touchdown, should have converted on third down? No. No. They're going to remember the final drive of the game with his team behind by four points. So you can't kick a field goal. His team behind by four. No doubt the final time they're going to get the football. And this is it, man. I mean, this is like getting humiliated now, right? right. I mean, with all due respect, it might be a divisional round game. But if the 49ers lose this game, can you imagine the narrative today? Shanahan can't win a big one. Purdy's a fraud. All these kinds of things, right? If he throws a pick there in the fourth quarter, three out of the four of us in this room are sitting there going, up, oh, you know, just what we said, system guy, you know? No. Purdy, last guy taken in the draft. Last guy 
taken in the draft. Every team in the NFL could have had him seven times over. And he goes six for seven, converts a huge third and ten on the completion to Ayuk. Is that how you pronounce his name? Ayuk. 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 And then they put it in the hands of McCaffrey, run it in, touchdown. That's it. That's what people remember now about Purdy. Yeah, there's no doubt. Who in this room was beating him down? Me. 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 And that's, that's You where, and I were on his yeah. team. That's right. We're, that's we're, right. We're Elliot and I have to eat a little bit of crow here because I've been, I've been his biggest detractor pretty much since he started playing for the 49ers. I'm like, ah, I don't, this Brock Purdy guy, let's, let's pump the brakes on this guy. And, and, and I pushed the Jordan Love. I've been a, I, I watched Jordan Love two weeks left in the regular season and was in all of him. And ever since then, I've been in love. I was like, this, this dude's a gamer. This dude's got it. And I still believe that. But if I'm gonna if I'm gonna give Jordan Love all the the love quote unquote love that I'm gonna give him, I gotta give Brock Purdy some here too because when it came down to nut cutting time, as we say here on off the bench, he got it done. Yep. He simply got it done. Uh, is that a game where the 49ers outmatched the Packers almost across the board? Sure. Should it have come down to that final moment? Probably not because the 49ers have a much better roster than that very young Packers team, the youngest Packers, the youngest team to make the postseason in 50, 40 years, whatever it's been, since the 74 Bills. But when it when push come to sho- shove, Brock Purdy got it done and, and, and it made great throws. I everyone's been telling me how great of throws Brock Purdy makes, and I'm like, ah, come on, guys. This guy. He was the last guy taken in the draft. He, he, he's not that good. He's not, he's not a very serious quarterback. But, you know, he came up late. And that's, that's really, as Thomas said on, 10 times on this show so far, that's what people will remember you for. Yeah, and it's not even just that he made that game-winning drive. There was a significant amount of, of the history of Kyle Shanahan in the fourth quarter up against his back, too. I mean, Shanahan, I'm just reading here, when down seven plus points entering the fourth quarter was zero and thirty. Yep. And now he's one and thirty. Yep. With Brock Purdy. Yep. I mean, what more can you ask for? Especially in a playoff game, and um, a game that was like very grindy, right? It wasn't like uh, they had to fight for everything. Yes, they did. And that's what's really impressive about it. Yes. You know, it was a good question asked by somebody in the chat here. If there's anybody. America loves the underdog, right? Right. Loves the underdog. The way we were talking about Green Bay going into this weekend and C.J. Stroud and the Texans and all this kind of stuff. Here you had Stroud, a number two pick in the draft. Jordan Love was a a first-round draft choice. Had to sit and wait for his time, but he was still a first-rounder. Why does Brock Purdy not get the love of being the ultimate underdog? I, I think that's a legitimate question. I mean, there is more negative directed towards Brock Purdy for a guy who all he does, think of all the great quarterbacks in the history of the 49ers, right? Two of the best of all time in Montana and Young, right? He threw for more yards in a single season than any of those guys this year. He was the last guy, they call him Mr. Irrelevant which means his career more than likely will be irrelevant. This is his second year in a row. He's been a starter. Last guy in the draft. And he's taken his team to the NFC Championship game. 
Why is he not viewed by people as the ultimate underdog to root for? Because if we hadn't seen it with other quarterbacks before he got there, right? Like Jimmy G took this team to a Super Bowl. Jimmy G had this team looking like they were the best team in the National Football League. He just took up the same mantle that a Jimmy G had previously. So that's why. Uh, but, but I'm with you. Listen, I've, no one's been a bigger detractor than me. And, and I'm slowly starting to come around on Brock Purdy because he's, he's there, there's nothing else you can do other than watch him play, and, and he makes big plays. So, what's that? Well, yeah, and to answer your question, Tom, it's because he plays on the best roster in the NFL with the best scheme. And to be quite honest, they should be favored to win the Super Bowl because every other player, and again, this is not including Brock Purdy, every other player on that roster is a Super Bowl caliber player. I mean, that's, a, that's one of the best rosters I've ever seen play football, and they've been healthy for most of the season, I'd say. Uh, outside of Debo missing a game here and there, outside of Trent missing a game here or there. Uh, and by the way, if you watch that game, and this is no disrespect, but Brock Purdy was most certainly not the reason they won that game. No. It was because of Christian McCaffrey right. uh, on the offensive side of the football. And, and again, I, I, I can't knock a guy for having weapons, right? Just like I can't say, you know, Joe Burrow hasn't been very lucky having Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, Tyler Boyd. You, you, playing up to, your, uh, up to the weapons that you have around you certainly is a, is a, is a valuable trait. And, and Brock Purdy has done that. To perfection, he plays up to the guys around him. He elevates the roster, uh, and that's good on him. But at the end of the day, he's still not the best player on the offensive side of the football for him. If Christian McCaffrey's not on that team, they don't win games. That's why. But Brock Purdy, to your point, they, there's could, there could certainly be a movie about him. There could certainly be a movie about how this guy was the last pick in the NFL draft and has somehow found his way to maybe winning a Super Bowl. I think it was so quickly. It, it, it was so quickly that people started going like, this Purdy guy's unbelievable. And maybe he, he deserved it. But it was from going from mystery relevant to now you're telling me he's a top five quarterback in the league and, and, and telling me that this team that Jimmy G took to the Super Bowl, like that that Brock Purdy's the reason that it's all happening. I think that was just the jar. But it's, it is fair. It is a fair question that why aren't more people – um, getting behind the Brock Purdy story. That's a fair question. And I, I don't have an answer. If they, if they were to win the Super Bowl this year, you would see people come to your side. Yeah, you're right. You're right. You're right. I mean, you can't get on him for last year because he blew his elbow. In, yeah. in, I mean, first quarter of the, of the NFC Championship game against Philadelphia, and they, they were done. You know, it, one interesting note I read about uh, from this past weekend and, and throughout these playoffs, something to, to you know, throw, throw around and think about as a Bengal fan, right? Seven of the 14 playoff head coaches this year called offensive plays for their team. Seven of the 14. Three called defensive plays. Now, who are the guys that are not calling plays? Okay. You had Nick Sirianni, took his team to the NFC Championship game this year. They completely collapsed down the stretch. You have uh, Mike Tomlin. Who does not call plays offense or defense? You have Dan Campbell does not call offense or defense. And you have John Harbaugh who does not coach offense or defense. So I bring this up because if you go back and look through, and, and we know how important it is to hire a strong coordinator, but, but my opinion, you're going to have a hard time if Brian Callahan leaves unless you're just going to promote Dan Pitcher, and it would be his first time ever as an offensive coordinator – 
which means it would be his first time potentially ever for calling plays in the National Football League as a very, very young man. Zach Taylor's a very, very young man. But do you think for a second, if Brian Callahan leaves and Pitcher becomes the offensive coordinator, that they're going to let him call plays next year? Think about what Harbaugh's done, right? Todd Munkin goes out, hires the best coach, offensive coach in college football from Georgia. Mm -hmm. Says, you're our guy. Let's make this work for Lamar. And look what's happened, right? On defense, he did the same thing. Brought in Mike McDonald. And both of them were top 10 units in virtually every category there is, Mm -hmm. right? Okay, so where am I getting that? You look through the years, whether it was – uh, Marty Mooringwig, Mark Tressman, Gary Kubiak, Jim Caldwell, Cam Cameron. These are some of the biggest names in football in a long time as offensive coaches. Harbaugh's burned through all of them. He's always in pursuit of coming to the end of a year and examining where do we need to get better. Do you think that Zach Taylor would be making a mistake by continuing to call plays for this franchise and become more of the CEO type like everybody else, well, like a lot of other guys are, and just manage the team. Because he's done a brilliant job at that. Correct me if I'm wrong, though. Three of the four final teams have a, have a coach calling plays on one side or the other, right? Well, yeah. I mean, you'd be talking about guys so, I mean, with, with a ton more experience as far as calling plays right I mean Shanahan's done it yeah he did it for eight or nine years as an offensive coordinator two of the four so half right so half of them don't and the other two that do are Andy Reid and Kyle Shanahan Mm -hmm. now their track records speak pretty well to their ability to do this and they've done it for a long long time sure Sure. Zach Taylor had never done it until he became a head coach. Well, he did it for UC. I was getting ready to say, it, except it for the brutal University of, the, of Cincinnati Bearcats offense. In one of the worst offenses in UC program okay. history. But, but, but they, don't, they don't have the kind of players then that they have sure. in more recent years, in fairness to him. What do you think? Well, when we're, when we're, talking, about, um, when we're talking about Andy Reid, play calling it is strictly what's being called on the field and that's also what zach taylor does oh sorry wrong camera that is also (laughs) what zach taylor does brian callahan was in charge of installing the game plan um creating the scheme and i'm sure zach taylor had something to do with it as well but that's what brian callahan it it was for and i'm sure that's what we're going to go to here in just a second where where this all shakes out if brian callahan leaves Zach Taylor calling the plays, I don't feel like my I don't feel like my issue is actually what takes place on the field more more times than not. It's actually what the scheme is. It's actually what the philosophy is. Now, I think that can change next year because we've seen what it looks like when we've got a backup quarterback and we start running the ball more often. I think they might have learned their lesson that they need to be more balanced moving forward. So for me, I don't feel like it needs to change. He's been able to get us to the AFC Championship game twice in a row, got us to the Super Bowl. Um, it, it's tough to say. Um, 
I think that if they were to look at improving, I don't know if you hire within. And I, I like Dan Pitcher. I think he's a great quarterback coach. I think he uh, coached for um, Aaron Rodgers. Uh, he's got a great track record. But I want, I want an offensive mind that's not in the building. To run the I agree. Yeah, that's actually that's actually a good point, Casey. That if if they are going to have a new offensive coordinator, it, it would be nice to have a a different set of eyes, right? It'd be it'd be nice yeah. to get somebody that hasn't been in there. But you know, we're, we're going to talk about this a lot, and this has been the biggest complaint towards Zach Taylor. He's got to give up the play call, right? That's what everyone says. And when it comes to this point, where in a team that I feel passionately about almost everything, I don't feel passionate either way on this. If Zach Taylor gives up the play call. That's fine. Like, right? Like, I don't. But also, Zach Taylor has, has been the author, along with Joe Burrow, of two of the best quarterback years in franchise history. Yep. Two of the best offensive years in franchise history. And, and people want to point out, well, what about the postseason? Like, they didn't score a whole lot of points in the postseason. All right, they're 5-2 and two in the postseason under this regime. So I'm not necessarily so quick to jump on the trigger of we need to, we need something to change we need something to change because this team still was nine and eight fit playing one of the yeah. hardest schedules in NFL history with a healthy quarterback for only five or six games, right? So I'm not necessarily so quick to jump on that bandwagon yeah. of we need to change something because as I've stated a thousand times so far since being on this show and I'll state it a thousand more times I don't think there's a more tired take that NFL fans have then the play calling's terrible. Every single fan of yep. every single team hates their team's play calling. Yep. There are Kansas City Chiefs fans that are arguing this year yeah. that Andy Reid needs to give up the play calling. Yep. Right. There are San Francisco 49er fans this year that are arguing that Kyle Shanahan needs to give up the play calling. It's the most tired take that we as fans have, so I'm not going to jump on the bandwagon of Zach Taylor needs to give it up when he was the author, along with Joe Burrow, of the two best quarterback years in franchise history. Yeah. Yeah. That's fair. That's fair. I'm just, uh, the only question I'm asking is basically what Casey said. Is he doing his job as the CEO head coach? Because, again, if Brian Callahan leaves, there is no – I mean, you can just stop this conversation right now. There is no way on God's earth that Zach Taylor is going to go hire an offensive coordinator from outside of this organization, a right. Todd Munkin kind of a guy. They're not going to do it. To be They're fair, not going to pay somebody big, big money like you'd have to do, the Gary Kubiaks, those guys of the world. You're not going to do it. They're going to promote from within – and maybe Dan Pitcher turns out to be the next greatest offensive coordinator in the history of the league, but you can't be that if you're not calling plays. Right. Right? Yeah, and to be fair, Dan Pitcher does deserve a chance to be yes, in OC does. somewhere. Yes. But I just – Well, I would bet that yeah. Callahan would bring it. That could be true. We, yeah. we're, we haven't even discussed that possibility of uh, who he could poach from our staff. That would be uh, very interesting. And not to mention that – Dan Pitcher still might get an OC job somewhere else. That's right. So, I mean, I uh, my hope for the Bengals is that Zach Taylor gives someone outside the organization a chance just because it brings a different perspective. And I think that you always need a new, fresh set of eyes. And I, I even say the same thing, really, about the defense, too. We've had the same scheme probably for – five years now, four years. Four years. And uh, I think it's starting to get exposed a little bit without uh, stellar backfield play. And 
we might not ever get a top three safety again. You know what I mean? You never know what the roster will shake out to be moving forward. So I, I might want another set of eyes there as well. I'm not saying completely get rid of uh, Ludini, but I am saying that uh, there might be uh, a change, some <laughs> staff changes, right? Well, I'll tell you one thing that made me made me wonder about, you know, we were talking last week or the last couple of weeks about the Bengals' inability to play smash-mouth football and win games inside their division, that they were mm-hmm. better built to compete once they reached the postseason with the likes of Kansas City and Buffalo, right. primarily. Right. I got to tell you, after watching the NFL playoffs this weekend – it's becoming a bully game again. Yeah. Kansas City can run the ball. Mm-hmm. Buffalo can run the ball, mm-hmm. right? San Francisco can run the ball. Mm-hmm. Detroit can run the ball. Mm-hmm. Yeah. These teams are all in. They've got quarterbacks on various levels from the great to the, you know, okay, the Jared Goff, wherever you want to put him. But now for the second time, to Goff's credit, he's been to as many championship games now as Burrow has been to. This will be his second. Right? Right. He led his team to a Super Bowl. They got beat, shipped him off out of town, and now he's the king of the, the, the jungle in Detroit. But I just kept thinking of that while I'm watching the third and fourth quarters of games over the weekend. And teams just pounding away, pounding away, pounding away. Yeah, you got Josh Allen. Yeah, you got Lamar Jackson. Yeah, you got, you got Purdy. Yeah, you got golf. But it's a bully league again. And when you start looking at this Bengals window that we hear so much about all the time, as it comes to the teams that are in the final four, what do they have in common? Okay, now Detroit's defense, eh, they're, they're okay. But they can get after the quarterback, right? Right. They're not great in the secondary but they give their secondary a chance by crowding the passer, right? San Francisco defense, San Francisco, right? Ravens, huh? Chiefs, huh? And all can run the ball. The Bengals don't have either one of those things right now. That could change in six months from now. But right now, they can't stop the run. Their defense was one of the worst in the league. And they cannot run the ball. And they have no commitment to running the ball. You can sit there and blame Joe Mixon all you want. Joe Mixon with a decent commitment to the run game. He rushed for 1,000 yards on a brutal rushing yard team. Yeah. If they committed to the run in more games, Joe Mixon is plenty good enough to run for twelve or 1,300 yards in a season. You mean to tell me over 17 games... He can't pick up another 20 to 25 to 30 yards rushing, which would have put him in that 1,100, 1,200 bracket. I mean, he they did. don't need to go change running backs. No. They need to get some people who are committed to playing smash-mouth football because moving forward, if you look at the age of this Kansas City defense, it is one of the youngest defenses in recent memory. It is incredible how young they are, and they've done it all through the draft. They let, they let Hill walk out the door, and they spent all those draft picks on defense, and they hit the lottery with them. So, you know, I mean, we're sitting here talking about the Bengals competing in their division. 
I mean, Kansas City and Buffalo have, have made a transformation right before your very eyes. It was two years ago we're talking about how bad Kansas City's defense is. Now they're top five in the league. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they, uh, they are able to adapt and change to the times. Just doing a little quick history of the NFL and how defenses have changed over the years. Sling it. Back in the day, back in the Andy Dalton era, that defensive schemes, it was cover three, which means that there's a, only one safety in the backfield. You're crowding the box. You're trying to stop the run. Shifted towards a more pass-heavy centric league, right? Mahomes enter, enters in the chat. Teams cannot stop him. They cannot stop them at all. They go to a cover, cover two sort of defensive era, which means there's two safeties in the backfield. I know it's a little, little weird because cover three is more than cover two. Yeah, yeah, whatever. There's two safeties in the backfield. It starts limiting the big plays and the big passes moving forward. The league is already caught up to that. It's going back to that cover three, that smash mouth football, running the ball, back to what it was back when Andy Dalton was around, where you could run the ball half the time and win ball games. The NFL adapts the best teams adapt and Kansas city, they were able to run the ball for years now, but they just didn't because that's, that's right. not what defenses allowed them to do. Same thing with the Bengals and the super bowl run. Joe Mixon had 1300 yards rushing that year, Tom. And he's not, he's not changed at all. If you ask me, I agree. All the people that said he lost his step. I don't see it. What I saw was the offensive line, not being able to block. I saw that. I saw guys that were too slow to get to the second level, climb up to the linebackers, make open holes for Joe Mixon. I saw that. Because you look at Joe Mixon and what he's done this year, I mean, there's just no, no reason we didn't give him the ball more. Just no reason at all. I think the Bengals just were too slow to the, to the adapt, to the change of, what this league has turned into. Well, like, so yeah, this is going to keep happening in football, right? There, there's only so many ways you can play football. And, and I know that there's still some, some evolution to the game and stuff like that, like the RPOs and the zone reads that have come out in the last 10, 15 years. There's going to be those small innovations. But for the most part, it's the same game that's going to be played. It's just counterpunch and punching, right? Punch and counterpunch. And when every team was playing smash mouth football, some teams came out and said, all right, we're going to sling it around the field. They had a lot of success. Other teams go, why can't we do that? They start doing it. So now it comes back, hey, let's start running it up the gut. Let's start Let's start delivering the box. Casey alluded to the reasons that that happened. That's going to continue to happen. So is the trend now, right, smash mouth football, as Tom, you alluded to? Maybe. Could be. But I brought this point up when it comes to the AFC North that I think if we try to mold ourselves to what the Baltimore Ravens are or what the Cleveland Browns are and what the Pittsburgh Steelers are. Yeah, we might fare a little better in our division because we went one and five this year. Although I would argue that we've won the division the last two years. But as I've alluded to, like, I think that limits what the Bengals' possibilities are based on the personnel. You look at what the Ravens have. They have a running quarterback. Because they have a running quarterback, they got themselves some fullbacks. They got themselves some, some power guys, right? Because that's what we're going to do. Smash mouth football. The Pittsburgh Steelers are smash mouth football because they don't have anybody that they trust to sling the skin around the field. 
Not a single soul. Cleveland Browns, similar, similar ordeal, right? They weren't this same smash mouth football when they had Pat, uh, Baker Mayfield. They liked to throw the ball a little more when they had Baker Mayfield. Now they have Deshaun Watson. He was supposed to solve their, their problems. They go, all right, I think we're a better team when we just turn around and hand it off to Nick Chubb, Jerome Ford, or whatever. I think we're a better team when we do that. The Bengals have a different personnel group than the rest of, of the AFC North. If we try to mold ourselves to the way that they style, the way that they play, I think you limit the capabilities and the potential of the Cincinnati Bengals. I simply do. Well, you might be right, but I think at the same time, what you also do is by committing to getting up under center and running the ball more, which we see the Bills do, which we see the 49ers do, which, uh, you know, not so much uh, under center for Kansas City, but, but I mean, uh, Buffalo, but they're still running the ball. Ran all over the first three quarters of the game last night, that Kansas City defense. You give your quarterback a chance to play a full year. That's what you do by running the ball. That's fair. You may not say we want to be Cleveland, we want to be Pittsburgh for the reasons you just so accurately laid out. Right. But people can sit around, and we were talking about this off the air, little heated exchange here. I mean, at the end of the day, everybody says Lamar Jackson is injury prone. He's played more games the last four years than Joe Burrow. And make no mistake about it. People can say whatever they want to say. Not the year before, but last year, the only reason the Bengals won the AFC North is because Lamar Jackson was hurt. That's the only reason. It came down to the final game of the year when they were playing with a third-string quarterback well, it was the coin flip. to nail down the division. It was a coin. Okay, well, you know what I'm saying. I mean, Lamar Jackson, just look at his record against the Bengals. He's lost one time as a starter. Didn't we finish finish two games better than the Ravens last year? Well, that's because they won the last game. Yeah, I mean, Lamar was hurt all. Yeah, and he didn't play the second half of the season. That's right. Last six, seven weeks. So, look, again, I'm not taking anything away from what the Bengals did. They had an incredible run. But, I mean, let's not get carried away here now. I mean – The Bengals want to be the Ravens. People don't want to hear that. That's who they want to be. And it would be a great goal to be the Ravens. Every year they're in the playoffs. Every year they're contending for a divisional championship. Virtually every year they're one of the teams you think, okay, maybe they can get to a Super Bowl. That's what you want to be. And the last three years, that's what the Bengals are. They are a team that you look at and you go, oh, don't want to play that team. Right? Right. Right. All right, let's get to – Let's get to some ad reads here. We got Scott Springer coming up. Uh, Brian B. asked this question. Brian, come on now. He asked the question, would we be talking this much about a Major League Baseball playoff game as we're talking about the playoffs today? And I can assure you the answer, as long as I'm sitting here, unless it's a Reds game, is no. We would not. Because there are a lot more people that care about what happened in that Chiefs-Bills game last night than there would be us talking about the Dodgers and the Braves. Is that fair? Did the Chiefs-Bills game had more eyes on it than the, than the Diamondbacks playoff games had for, until the World Series combined? Combined. <laughs> right. Combined. Right. I guarantee you that number is going to be somewhere north of 28, 29, 30-plus million viewers last right. night. And that would be more than probably the – the combined number of games the Diamondbacks probably played in the postseason this year. All right, Casey, take it away. Yeah. um, The Bengals report, which we just 
did uh, is brought to you by Encore Technologies. Encore Technologies provides IT solutions for a data-centered world with a suite of services from mobile computing to desktop to data center, supporting both centralized and work-from-home computing modules to improve efficiency and productivity. Ba -ba 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 -da -ba -ba. Productivity. Nickelodeon. Productivity. Visit Encore.tech. The path to innovation begins here. And let me tell you about this lovely bottle of water right here. Pawnee Water. Made right here in Hamilton, Ohio. It uses natural limestone filtration, unlike the artificial processing other brands use. The result is a healthy alkaline water, and some say the best tasting water in the world. That's what Visit Pawnee Water at P-A-H-H-N-I water.com to see where you can buy this great tasting water. Get your coffee from UDF, drink lots of Pawnee Water, and technology solutions from Encore. We've got a couple ad or not ads, uh, super, chats. super chats. So let me pull those up. Uh, the first one which I answered already in the chat. Hey, Arn, Casey, are you going to be in the Royal Rumble Saturday? Uh, I am preparing for it. Uh, I, I got a couple workouts I still need to do and to bulk up a little bit before that. But um, yeah. Do you know what entry you are? Huh, what's up? Do you know what entrance you are? You no, not, what, not yet. You don't know what number you are? Not yet. Hopefully Working you're in the late 20s so you have a real chance of winning that thing. Yeah. <laughs> if, if, if you're like one through five, I mean, you don't got a prayer. Might as well just, just save yourself the, the body aches. You get to watch it. If you bought Peacock, you get to watch it for free. How about that? <laughs> How about it's, a fun, that? it's a fun little event, Royal Rumble. Thanks, NFL. It's the gift that keeps on giving. Right. Uh, second super chat that I had saved on here. I don't know if I missed any more. There's three. Uh, Andy Reid is the greatest coach in NFL history. Second half adjustments. No one like him makes those changes. He outcoaches Taylor and now McDermott. Um, I mean, I would disagree that he's outcoached Taylor because Burrow is 3-1 right. against or two and one or three and one. I don't remember what the record is, but he's got a positive record against Coach Taylor's or uh, against um, Andy Reid. But this is his eleventh conference championship game. He had five with the Eagles, um, and this will be his sixth with the Chiefs. So this is number eleven, I think. Yeah, that's why Bill Belichick has thirteen, if I'm correct. Thirteen. So uh, yeah, I mean Andy Reid's one of the absolute best. Shite Town Real Estate also with a two dollar. Um, yeah. Super chat, where my OG stanks at, whatever that is. <laughs> no clue what that is. Casey? No clue. But um, to wrap up that, what Tom was saying about being what the Ravens are, um, it also helps to not be like 75% throw, 25% run. If you just even add 10% to that, right. like – that's I, all we're asking for. I, I think we're there's not even, middle ground, right? Yeah, think, there's definitely a middle ground. When we when we when we talk about like molding our like when we talk about competing in the AFC, we need to be more smash mouth to compete in the AFC North. That's that's fair, but let's not go overboard. Let's not let's not hand the ball off 30 times a game. Let's not do that because once again, the best player on our team is our quarterback. Let's go ahead and, and let him have the ball more often than not. Um, one thing that I don't know if we're gonna what time is Scott coming on, Tom? Uh, quarter after. Okay. So we got a, so, we got four minutes. All right, four minutes. The one thing that I that I'd like to ask is who you out of these four teams, who do you want to win the Super Bowl more than anybody else, Elliot? There's only one option, and that's the Detroit Lions. They're yeah. the only they're the only team that I want that I want to see win left. I don't want to see Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs do it. I certainly don't want to see a divisional team do it, and I don't want to see the 49ers ever do it. I so I texted you guys this yesterday. It is it is a take, but it makes sense in my head. Out of all the teams that can win the Super Bowl. Out of the four teams remaining, the team that I want to win the Super Bowl the least, like the team that I absolutely do not want to win the Super Bowl, is the Detroit Lions. And you guys might be asking me, 
why do you want that read? They are like, they're always losing. Like, why can't you root for a team? Why can't you root for Detroit and stuff like this? Listen, if the Detroit Lions figure it out before the Cincinnati Bengals, what do we have? Oh, God. We've got to be better than somebody. I mean, this is the worst case scenario, right? <laughs> right? Like, but I don't want the Detroit Lions to win. I don't want the Cleveland Browns to win. I don't want the Jags to ever do it. I don't want the Texans to ever do it until the Bengals do it. Because I like, I like there to be a pecking order. I like there to be a pecking order here in the NFL. And so far, we are slightly above those teams. And I appreciate that. I truly appreciate that. And, and I'll ask this question. For those of you that cannot stand if the Kansas City Chiefs win another Super Bowl, you can't stand it. That's the worst-case scenario. I'll ask you if you're a Bengals fan, what do you have to lose? I mean, like, they're, they're better than us. They're already better than us. What's another one? Let's I mean, keep the pecking orders in line. I can't have an AFC North do it. I still want to be somewhat right on the Brock Purdy take, so I don't want the 49ers to do it. I can't have the Lions do it because I want to be better than the Lions. If the Chiefs do it, then, I mean, what's it matter? Yeah, what's it matter? I mean, after you say that, I'm, I'm all in on the 49ers winning it. I can't have any other team do it. And I, honestly, I would prefer the Ravens to lose in the Super Bowl. I don't want Mahomes to get to into another Super Bowl because that's just another thing Oh, he always makes it to the Super Bowl. You can always count him to win the AFC. No. Casey's I, I can't legacy's have already happen. pretty much cemented. I, I know, but I just, I just can't I can't deal with it. I would not I would just I would not be in a good you spot. About that before we get to Scott Springer. I mean, well, seriously, because, what, I mean, because well, what's why the do point you then? care if what, people what say that Patrick Mahomes gets to the Super Bowl every it's not, year? It's, that's what he on. does. It's, it's not that it's not that they would say that. It's just in my, the back of my mind, I would say, what's the point? Because that's what I used to say about Tom Brady is, you know that he, you have to go through Tom Brady. He's either going to be in a championship or he's going to be in the Super Bowl. So what's the point in being a good Bengals team if you can't beat Tom Brady? Well, if you always got to go through Mahomes, you got to beat Mahomes either in the AFC Championship or the Super Bowl, what's the point in watching the NFL at that point? That's where I get at. But – I, I, I really need your villain. Right, so can, I really need get to Scott, Let's get to this. Yeah. Give me in order, one through four, quickly, before we get to Scott. Yep. Who you most want to win it, least want to win it. So I most want the 49ers, then the Lions, then the Ravens, then the Chiefs. All right. So Elliot, in order. Lions, 49ers, Ravens, Chiefs. <laughs> Chiefs. Oh, God. Ravens, 49ers, Ew. Lions. That's terrible. Lions that's a, that's last? A, that's a terrible I just list. told you, Tom, if, if the Lions win a Super Bowl before the Bengals, then who the heck are we better than in the NFL? Well, we got to be better than somebody. I can't, I can't, I can't well, be worse than the Lions. If you're, in, if you're into the NFL's scripted nonsense, uh, there, is, there is no storyline better than the very first game of the season being the Lions and Chiefs and the very last game of the season being Lions versus Chiefs. My wife keeps asking me, he's like, have you seen the – the colors of the Super Bowl match the Ravens and 49ers. It's all scripted. It was last year. It's like, all right, we'll see. Whatever. I think next year's Super, Co Super Bowl colors are orange, though, right? Is that right? That would be beautiful if that's the case. I'd like to get us back in. Well, I am rooting for the fight in Chris Spielman. That's right. End of story. That's right. End of story. All right. Uh, our good friend Scott Springer from Cincinnati.com is in Lawrence, Kansas, covering the Cincinnati Bearcats. Scott, uh, thanks for the time today, my friend. Glad you got in safely uh, up there. I would imagine you were around getting in yesterday for all the hoopla around the nearby Kansas City Chiefs win last night. Is that about right? 
Yeah, it's kind of weird sitting in a place and trying to eat and everybody's rooting for the Chiefs. And I, I, I wouldn't have been opposed to a Bills win myself. But uh, And I'll go Lions, Ravens, Chiefs, and Niners because if you're from Cincinnati, you cannot like the Niners for anything. And, and David Montgomery was passed upon by Tommy Tuberville's Bearcats and went to Iowa State and is with the Lions, so I'll go Lions. Amen. Amen. We're rooting for, uh, for David Montgomery, the pride of Mount Healthy High. So, uh, look, what's your, what, what's your opinion of the Bearcats and where they are right now? Um, you know, every night's against a nationally ranked team, it seems like. Now, it doesn't seem like. This will be six in a row now. Uh, you know, they yeah. win one, they lose one. They're all tight. They're all close. But, but you're there to cover the practices. You're there to cover the post-game interviews, the pre-game interviews, the game themselves. From 10,000 feet up, how do you see this season so far for UC? Well, you wish you'd see more consistency, but you have to keep in mind the, the league that you're in. You know, if you're putting this team in the AAC, I think they're pretty good. Uh, I thought when they had the two big guys uh, eligible, uh, Aziz Bandago and, and Jamil Reynolds, I thought, well, here, here comes the top 25. And then you get in this league and, and everybody's just so good. And, and they are really, really close to, to being undefeated in the league, but they're not because the league is just crazy. And then you see, you know, Kansas on Saturday after UC loses to Oklahoma, Kansas drops one to sub 500 West Virginia. And Kansas lost to UCF, who I believe was ranked last by most in the, in the middle of the summer when nobody really knows what they're talking about. But, you know, you, you got to bring in every game and, and uh, you know, <laughs> this is no picnic tonight, but would you rather have this or would you rather be in, uh, and I love Greenville, North Carolina and East Carolina, but, uh, you know, would you rather be in front of four or 5,000 there or 16,300 tonight at the fog, the legendary yep. Fog Allen Fieldhouse? What wouldn't you pay to, to, to be in a game there? And so I'm looking forward to it. You know, when you, you a couple of interesting things have happened, uh, Scott, with this UC team. Uh, you know, we, we, we know they waited a while on getting Aziz to play. He had some back issues after the injury three games ago, four games ago. Jameel Reynolds looks to be getting, you know, into a flow for the first time, getting his feet underneath him. What I found interesting was the last couple of games, UC has been the second best rebounding team in the conference so far this year. But the last two games... They have been out-rebounded. Now, they had more points in the paint than TCU did, uh, but they seem to have some issues against the big guys with, uh, with Oklahoma. Uh, is, is Aziz all the way healthy, and where do you think Reynolds is at this point? I don't think Aziz is all the way healthy because I have not seen the same player. Now, again, it was a one-game sample that I saw in the NIT when he played for Utah Valley, and he was really good in that game, 15 points, 12 rebounds. So I've not seen the same guy. And he started all 37 games for them last year. Um, so I think he's still having some lingering back issues. Uh, uh, Reynolds, I don't know if he just, you know, he, he's coming in and he's not playing as much as he did at Temple. So I don't know if that's uh, the answer. He, he does have some really good post moves. He actually has the best vertical on the team, even with the 275 pounds. Uh, I think you're going to need them both tonight for sure because you're going up against Hunter Dickinson. That's yep. you know he's 19 points and 12 rebounds, and if you don't stop him, you lose. Now, now West Virginia found a way to out rebound them. I think it was 31-22 last game. So uh, UC has been very good in the rebounding stats, and like you said, though the last two games they've been out rebounding, and then they did lose points in the paint the, the last game, and 
that's a, another issue tonight. So, uh, and, and, you know, let's be honest, D Dan Skillings Jr., in terms of NBA scouts, is probably the most interesting guy that they come to see because of his uh, length and, and the wingspan and his athletic ability. He can't give you one point. Yeah. Now, is that all his fault? You know, he didn't start. He had started three of the last four games, and then they went with the bigger lineup. So, And that was the fewest minutes he played the last game. But you need more than a point out of that guy. I mean, he, he's, he's too crucial to the team. You can't have a guy that gives you 29 and 24 and then one. And, and that's been the case. There's been some inconsistency with some of the other ones. Aziz hasn't always been on. Uh, typically, though, his, his uh, plus-minus figures are pretty good, although it wasn't very good last game. Um, so if you can get everyone on, on, on the same page, which is difficult, and then keep in mind they've only had the full complement of players one game, and that was right. the loss at Dayton, and that was the first game for Jameel Reynolds. So he's just getting his feet wet. I think he played maybe 10 minutes in that game. But you've been missing a pretty good three-point shooter in C.J. Frederick, and I don't think he's he's near coming back yet. Um, so, and, uh, you know, Seamus Lakosius, pretty good substitute. He, he can nail him, but he, he's got to be consistent. And, and by God, they got to make their free throws. No one likes to talk about it, but you can't go 53, 58, and 64 your last three games and then wonder why you lost. There's the reason. It's not the total reason, but it certainly is one of them. Yeah, you know, uh, we, we we got into it a little bit here on the show, Scott. You know, and 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 I thought all Wes Miller was doing was protecting a player that he thinks a world of, who was clearly down. Talking about uh, the Texas game uh, when Newman missed the free throws near the end of the game, and Wes came out and said, "Hey, look, free throws aren't the reason that we lost this game." As you just said, there are many, many other reasons. But what has Wes said about the free throw shooting? You know, this is one of those where this has been debated since the beginning of, uh, of the invention of the game of basketball, right? Uh, that that mm. why can't guys be better free throw shooters? You're at practice every day. It can't be from a lack of, of shooting free throws trying to get better, right? Well, I mean, it's it certainly worked on. It's just, you know, can you make the pressure free throws? And, uh, you know, the guys that are shooting them are generally – Good shooters, but this team tonight, I think they're 74%. I believe UC is 66. Uh, you got to do better than that, and you, you got to knock them down. There, there was a crucial stretch at the end of the Oklahoma game where uh, Newman had just hit a three, and then the Bearcats had the ball back with a possession, and Seamus uh, got fouled, and he, he made, I believe he made one, but there was just so many opportunities there late, and, and you know, they did shoot better from the line in the second half. The first half is what killed them, because if you watch the first half of the Oklahoma game, I thought they were in command. I thought if, if they make a handful of free throws and knock some shots down, you know, they're maybe up 10 points at the half. But you get to that first uh, media timeout, and they've shut out Oklahoma. But on the other hand, they have four points. Right. You, you can't do that. You, you, you got to, you know, you got to seize the moment. You got to hold serve when you're at home. And that's, that's why the home losses hurt so much. And, so then you're digging a hole and you have to come to places like Fog Allen Fieldhouse and try to dig one out. You know, when but, you talk you know, about... You know, hey, they wanted BYU, and that was a uh, 17,000 people that surely were not rooting for the Bearcats, so anything's possible in this league. Well, there, there's no doubt about it. They've proven that, as you mentioned already. You know, I, I look at Kansas, and I have not watched them play enough, but I say to myself, you know, like everybody else, it's Kansas, right? I mean, they got a five-star here. They got the best transfer portal guy in the country in Dickinson leaving Michigan and coming to Kansas. And yet you sit there and you look and you say, okay, 
as you brought up earlier, they've also lost to West Virginia and Central Florida. I mean, now, that you know, when Bob Huggins was at West Virginia, okay, they get beat at West Virginia, they get beat. But this has not been a good West Virginia team so far this year, and UCF, certainly the same holds true. I mean, they're okay, but they're not supposed to be beating Kansas. What's the deal with Kansas? Well, I mean, I, that's a good question. I, I know, uh, well, you know, my Lyft driver said, you know, I don't know why they're even playing. The Lyft driver last night said it's over because Bill Self doesn't lose two in a row. And I, I did look up some stats on him, and he, he rarely does, although last season they did lose three in a row. But uh, I, I've heard people say that they're maybe not as deep as, as they've been in the past. Um you know, obviously, if you stop Dickinson, you have a chance. You know, McCuller's awfully good, too. He's 20 points a game. And and Dewan Harris Jr. was the Big 12 Defensive Player of the Year last year. And, and they do pass the, the ball well. I don't know where they're at today, but when I looked before the West Virginia game, they were number two in, in the NCAA in, in assists per game. Mm-hmm. Um, tonight, you, you just need to get over the fact you got to don't look at their jersey and forget where you're at and Somehow, you know, it, it, it might be similar to that BYU game because that game, BYU had all the accolades. They had a, a, a ton of people there, 17,000, and it, it started off, it didn't look good at all, and then the Bearcats got down to business, and, you know, maybe that can happen tonight. But if you're overcome by the crowd and, and all, all, all that's happened in the past, um, it's going to be a tough game. Now, you would think, the experience the Bearcats have, a, a number of the players, that shouldn't be a big deal tonight. But like I said, I, I, I to predict in, in this league to be a, an odds maker in the Big 12, you know, good luck. It's eight yeah, and I a mean, half uh, favor of, of Kansas, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just unbelievable. Every night when you're watching that league, Big East too, you're watching it's NBA players all over the floor and, and uh, it's a whole different world, but so far so good for UC. Scott, thank you as always for your time, my friend, safe travels. Enjoy. Is this your first trip to Fog Island? Have you been there before? I've never been there for basketball. The last time I was here and, and uh, I date myself quite often, but it was 1995, the mighty Bearcats of Rick Manor came here and played the, the Jayhawks in football. And so we passed the fog coming in and out. Uh, I believe UC lost that game. You can check at 23-18, something like that. Sometimes I miss by a point or two. But um, they they lost that game, lost the next one to Kansas State, then beat Virginia Tech 16-zip. And they thought they'd have a season, but they finished 6-5. and five. So there's your Rick Minter history there moment of the day. There we go. Well, he's got a championship ring now, so good for him. Uh, he does, Scotty, yeah, thank- yeah. yeah, he does. Yes, he does. Congratulations at Michigan. Scotty, thanks for your time today, my friend. All the best. Thank you, sir. All righty. Scott Springer, Cincinnati.com. You can read his stuff. He always gives you great stuff on, you know, like, like today. Five things or three things to look for in the game. So if you haven't followed whoever they're playing, in this case, it's a huge game at Kansas. Uh, blue blood program, national championship banners hanging all over the place, right? Um, but he'll, he'll give you some things to look for in the game difference it could be winning and losing the matchup up front tonight is 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 huge for the Bearcats because they're one of the few teams in the country that could potentially defend with fouls to give a guy like Dickinson if you've got Bandego and Reynolds you've got 10 fouls there to give Bandego's a great shot blocker one of the best in the country and Reynolds is a 200s built like a lot like not quite as tall as Dickinson mm-hmm. but big and strong and physical 
And so, you know, maybe it gives them a fighting chance tonight. What do you think, Zebra? I, I don't know if there's, if there's a chance. It's going to be hard for me to say. I think, uh, I think they've only lost 17 times. Is that right? Under, uh, I think they've only lost 17 times at Fog Island Fieldhouse. Uh, under Bill Self. Bill Self. Yeah. I can't think of his name. Um, under Bill Self. I'm pretty sure that's right. If it's not right, I'm sorry. But I, I have a hard time believing Kansas is going to lose this game. I, I, I love UC, but the lack of a consistent score makes it almost impossible to, to give me a good, a good feel about winning a basketball game. They rank 299th in the country in free throw percentage, tied with Alcorn. I don't know if you know what Alcorn is. Apparently that's a university. Alcorn State. And UC is tied with them in national free throw percentage among 360 plus or 360 or so teams. It's pathetic. It's sad. It's really bad. So if you can clean up the little things like making free throws and making layups, which has been a clear issue yep. with this team, I again, I think they are a bona fide tournament team. But it just seems to me, and Skillings was off again on Saturday. Yeah, see, that's the thing. I mean, it, it... They have, they I don't know what Wes Miller does behind closed doors, and at least the, the, the picture has sort of been painted. I don't know if this is accurate or not, but we've read a lot about Dan Skillings Jr. losing his confidence and things like I, I don't want to hear about it. His job is getting a scholarship and NIL money to play college basketball. Yep. He has been blessed with incredible talent. Scott hit the nail right on the head. If you went to watch UC play, in a practice or in a game, and you just watch raw ability, it is not even close who stands out the most on that team. It's not even close. It's Gillings from an athletic standpoint. He cannot score one point in a game. I, I don't know what it is, really. We have one consistent player, and it's and it's John Newman the third. He's yeah. the only guy. He plays tough defense. He plays tough offense. And despite the slander that some people in this office might say about him, he is arguably the best player and most important piece of this roster. Down the line, again, Dede Thomas, he's, he had a fine game, but he struggled he's with He's a layups. good player. He's a very good player. Victor Locken, he had a great defensive game. He had a great defensive game uh, against Oklahoma, but he scores five points. He scores five points. Simas Lukosius, again, he had an okay game. He was, what, five for 15 from the floor, 17 points. But, again, you can't expect Simas to score 17 every night. It's just inconsistency on the offensive side of the, uh, offensive side of the basketball. They shoot three-pointers. They shoot way too many threes, and they don't shoot at a high enough percentage to even consider taking that many threes, but they continue to do it. Aziz, he, tur he turns the ball over every time he touches it. He can't play offense unless it's a alley-oop of some sort, some sort of lob to him. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. And Jamil Reynolds, and I say this with love and respect, he shows the ability to be like a strong uh, Yancey Gates type of center for us, but it's just not there. He doesn't want to catch the, the basketball. He, he's not great offensively, and he's very bad defensively. So could they beat Kansas? I don't know. Maybe. I, I have a hard time believing that. I, they could certainly cover eight and a half points, which is what the spread is. But I don't think Bill Self is losing this game. I, I, I really don't. Is there any comment Mr. Tired has brought up? Mr. Tired. Is there any comment from here at Chatterbox, and I'm not the mouthpiece for Chatterbox Sports. That's Trace Fowler's job. He's the boss. But any reaction Mr. Tired wants to know for not being nominated for the quote-unquote best sports coverage category in City Beats Best of Cincinnati. 
Any reaction to that? I mean, they're touting on there, 700 WLW. They have the rights to all the games. Uh, Bally's, WCPO, uh, The Athletic, um, you know, Locked On Bengals, Locked On Woke. Locked, uh, no, I'm sorry. That's not it. That's not it. My bad. That somebody wrote that in here. I was just reading as I was scrolling through the thing. But is there any? What the hell's so funny? Nothing. Nothing. That's very funny. Uh, yeah. No. My comment is as follows. Um, I deny the the nomination. Yeah, we denied it. We denied it. Tom, where else are you going to get thoughtful, educated conversation huh. about? Your beloved Cincinnati Bengals. That's right. Your beloved Cincinnati Reds. That's right. Your beloved Cincinnati Bearcats. That's right. And of course, where else are you going to get better conversation about football club Cincinnati? Well, Casey is the man. We are your one-stop shop. You left out Xavier. And Xavier. And Why Xavier. did you leave out Xavier? I thought I you were, that's where I thought you were going. Well, well, well thought out conversation. And as we guys know, as you all know in this room, you guys hate Xavier. I mean, you guys just bash Xavier oh, all the time. I could day. not imagine. I could not imagine sitting in this room talking for two hours about sports every single day and bashing on one of the teams here in this city. Can't imagine that whatsoever. Who has bashed Xavier? You guys, every every show. That's the only person. I, you guys are the only Tom. people that bashed Did any Cincinnati sports team. Did you listen to the monologue team? today? Talking about how... You called it a pathetic th- win against the Georgetown no, Hoyas. Well, it, it was a pathetic win. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, gotcha. That, we got it. Gotcha. Yeah, 92 gotcha. to 91 against that team at home. Come on. No, but they won the game. And that was a big time win. Um, Nick Kirby says in City Beat, which I've not seen. I've always enjoyed reading that, but I haven't seen it. Uh, the best 2023 Reds were in order. <laughs> Joey Votto, Jonathan India, and Tyler Stevenson. So maybe I don't feel so bad about us being left out of the sports coverage. You're, you're saying those weren't the best Reds this year? Would you? <laughs> no. Would you say that any of them would be on the top three? They wouldn't be in the top 15. I don't know. They'd yeah, be in the top, the top 15, but they wouldn't be in the top 10. five. I don't think they would be the top 15. I, honest to God, don't think so. Start rattling them off. Who's, who had better years than those? No, three? I'm not going to do that. We're not going to waste everybody's time. But I will say this. Uh, thank you, City Beat, for the, for the uh, non-nomination. Uh, I can't wait to get non-nominated next year. We deny it. We denied it. <laughs> we said no thank you. Jake Seaman wants to ask Tom, do you think about the what do you think about the Bengals trading a draft pick for a veteran uh, defensive player to bolster that unit? Look, I heard um, somewhere uh, over the weekend or something uh, about you know the very first thing the Bengals should do, the very first thing they should do is pick up the phone, even though the odds might be long, pick up the phone and call Chris Jones' agent. That's the very first thing they should do. DJ Reader's out. Teams ran all over that defense at will. They have nobody along that defensive front that you view as a quote-unquote run stopper. Jones is not only good at that, he's great at getting to the quarterback. So that would be the first call they would make. As for 
the, the T. Higgins thing and trading, sign and trade, franchise tag him, trade him. My understanding is the Bengals have roughly $70 million under the salary cap for this upcoming season. That is a lot of dough. Well, with that in mind, there is no way I'm signing T. Higgins and trading him. I'm going to give it one more run. You can use every draft pick you have this year on whoever it is you want to draft. But you can go buy a great defensive player or two when you're $70 million under the cap, and you can pay Higgins $20 million bucks and keep the band together for one more go-round. Thoughts, if any, Casey? You're uh, Mr. Ben. Um, we've talked about the, the tag and trade team um, many, many times, and I, I still feel the same way. I think that is the correct call. Um, it gives you a better chance to be dominant where it matters. And yeah, you can be dominant in the receiving, um, in the receiving game as well. Uh, but I just feel like if you have a guy, if you have Joe Burrow, you don't need 300 weapons. You need protection and you need the other side of the ball to be dominant because he's going to do his part. If you've got your guy, he's going to do his part. And uh, I think with Chase coming up, I don't want to risk losing him. Yep. Um, you look at how the the structure of the cap would go, how the salary cap would be constructed, and with majority of it going to just three players is just not on the offensive side. I just can't. I can't do that. Um, I would do. What you said, which is call Chris Jones, yep. uh, uh, I think uh, I think that's a smart move. Um, I would want to keep DJ Reader. I think you can probably get him for cheaper than what the projections are after that injury. Um, and if you can imagine a, a defensive line with Trey Hendrickson, Chris Jones, DJ Reader, um, it doesn't matter who you have on the other side because I think that would be uh, probably one of the more dominant lines in yep. the NFL. Yep. And you never know. Maybe uh, Miles Murphy shows up and really um, has a great second year. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, I, I the $70 million is a lot to play with. I think they can get a defender. I think they can get someone that will make a difference. I just feel like if they do spend the money on T, then they couldn't – they, they are foregoing the ability to make the defensive line or whatever mm -hmm. area they want spectacular. They're going to make it better, but they're not going to make it spectacular. Does that make any sense? This is – it makes that makes 100% sense. And we've talked a lot about this. Uh, we, we talked about this at length ever since Joe Burrow signed his contract is when you sign these contracts, which are needed, right? You, you pay a guy what he's worth, and that's what the going rate for an elite quarterback is, is what Joe Burrow got. But unfortunately, because it's a salary cap league, when you make that decision, you're not going to let them walk. You're going to pay them the money. You then shorthand yourself at other positions. That's what you've seen with the Kansas City Chiefs and why they haven't had a whole lot of wide receiver help over the past few years. That's why they had to let a guy like Tyree Kill go. It's because, listen, they're going to – they had to pay Patrick Mahomes. All right, where, where are the, the weaknesses? Tom, you brought up a thing about T. Higgins. You would rather uh, franchise him and, and give it one more run in the sun with the whole squad together, right? Which the Bengals can do, and, and to be honest, based on Bengals history, I think that they likely will do. But I'll ask this question. What is more likely to garner a Super Bowl? 
one year, one more run in the sun with T. Higgins and the squad together, or trading T. Higgins for a second-round draft pick and getting four years of a, of a top draft pick and a wide receiver? I mean, that, 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 you know, th there are situations where you can be right on both. I think both of these are right answers, but I can also see the other side of it. I totally understand it. Right. But if you pay Higgins $22 million, you, you still have $50 million left to play with. So why not keep him for one more go-round instead of waiting on some dude who, you know, I mean, the number one pick was a non-factor this year. What makes me believe, and I don't know what he's going to do this year in Murphy. I mean, what would make me believe that if you gave them a second-round pick, that they're going to hit on some guy who makes as much of an impact as one more year with Higgins? I, you know, I, I just, I don't see it. Especially when it comes to offensive linemen, they have not done a good job drafting them at all. Mm -hmm. I mean, you look at their current offensive line right now, including Jonah Williams. They drafted him and they got Volson for nothing. The other three are free agents. Uh, I mean, if we're going to throw history into it, you ask what makes you think that the Bengals will, will do well at, at drafting in the second round. I mean, the last three guys that they've drafted in the first two rounds as wide receivers have all been pretty good. Well, three out of the last four, Tyler Boyd, T. Higgins, Jamar Chase, those were all first and second round draft picks. No, I'm now, talking about specifically a second round pick. I'm saying an impact guy. Higgins is certainly that. Right. There's no doubt about that. T. Higgins, right? Higgins. But, I mean, you know, I mean – even look at some of their draft picks on defense here the last couple of years. I mean, there are a lot of people wondering about Dax Hill right now. How good is he? Right. I don't know how good he is. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, like the Bengals. Their best cornerbacks up until this year, Cam Taylor Britt, are guys they've had to bring in from other places. Awuzie, Hilton. I mean, even going back historically the last number of years, the last time that they drafted corners – that played a long time in the NFL and were really good players is when they took Hall and who's the other one I'm forgetting that ended up leaving? It was Leon Hall and the uh, Joseph. Yeah, Jonathan Joseph. Jonathan Joseph, right. That's the last time they picked two guys that you would say were, to, to your point, Reed, where they were there year two, two, year three, year four, and you're going, damn good players here. Yeah, it's, I'm looking at the Bengals' second-round draft history since 2017, and it's, it's been feast or famine for the most part. I mean, you go back to 2016, they take Tyler Boyd in the second round. Phenomenal. Solid pick. 2017, they take Joe Mixon in the second round. Solid. Fantastic. 2018, they take Jesse Bates the third Solid. in the second round. 2019, this is the best one that they had. This is when they took Drew Sample in the second round. I was a miss. 2020, T. Higgins. This is another miss. 2021, Jackson Carmen. 2022, Cam Taylor Britt. It's a hit. Yeah, it's a hit. That, that's a hit. Yeah. Um, and then 2023, a lot to be um, seen, but uh, Juan Drago Turner, DJ Turner, whose name should be JD. But so we'll see with him. But they've had very good success in the second in the second round. If you're asking me the same question that I asked you, what gives the Bengals a better chance to win a Super Bowl? One year of T. Higgins. Or using the value that you still hold with T. Higgins to go get a second-round pick and then get four years of a second-round draft pick? I like that. I like the latter as opposed to the former. I like going out and trading T. Higgins, and, and I think that gives us more, 
a more opportunity to win a Super Bowl. Four years of that guy as opposed to one year of T. Higgins. I think you'll get more value out of four years of a second-round draft pick than you will get out of one year of T. Higgins. But there's no promise that that wide receiver would hit at all. And well, that, and it doesn't even have to be a wide receiver. I just think you'll get more talent. I think you'll get more value out of a second-round draft pick for four years than you will out of one year of T. Higgins. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know. If Higgins is healthy, you're talking about a 75, 80-yard reception guy, 11, 12, 1,300 yards in a season. It's pretty damn good. Well, we, we did this little uh, – It's hurt a lot, though. We did this scenario, I think, last week when you were here, what you would do at the cap. So there's 20 million, 20, 22 million already gone from the cap if you do tag – That's right. T, which is probably the most likely scenario. If they sign him, they probably have more cap space because they'll push his cap – either yeah, down the line or the yeah but regardless so let's say 20 million is gone you have 50 million left to play with we already talked about the guys that you would keep probably let go like reader and Wouzier and boyd i mean after a while after you sign those guys you're not you don't have a lot to play with afterwards so that's the dilemma is what's more valuable valuable a receiver two or a interior pass rusher. What's oh, more about I, I don't understand. I, I, I'm not connecting the dots here. If you sign him for 22 and you're at 70 million under, you have 50 million left, which means you could give Chris Jones $20 million. He's going to be getting 30. All right, give him 30. So that's okay. 50 of the 70. You've you still got $20 Jamar. million dollars to still play with. Sign Jamar. So, yeah, we still. Well, you worry about that the next year. Okay, so you actually, truth him. be told, you don't have to worry about it the next year. You can tag him the next year if you don't want to give him a long-term deal. Okay, talking about, talking about Chase. So twenty, you have twenty million left to play with. You still have DJ Reader, so you have no. Well, I mean, I, no, if you sign Jones, Reader's gone. End of story. You're not bringing Reader back unless it's just a total bare bones minimum. You're coming back from injury. This is too risky. He's done it one time before. I am not giving him a pile of cash coming back from tearing up your, your, your quad muscle. If you get T. Higgins and Chris Jones, it gives you $20 million, right? That's where we're at. With the still needing to sign a right tackle, yeah, a running back one, probably a cornerback, at least some veteran cornerback out there. That's a lot, that's a lot of moving pieces, Tom. That's a lot, a lot, of, lot moving of moving pieces. pieces. I don't, I don't disagree. Tight end? I don't think they have to do anything at tight end. I think they're okay there. They, they got better as the season one. They were plenty good enough there at the end of the year. I'm not arguing. Uh, they were plenty good enough there. And I don't all think those you have to go agents. out. I don't, I don't have a problem with Nixon and Brown. I have no problem with that. If you've got guys up front that can block. You could add Saquon Barkley in here. People are talking about him coming in here. You could add Barkley oh, with God. that offensive line and you're not going to run. If we go, if we go out and spend a lot of money on a on a running back, I will I will just melt into a puddle over here. Well, Derek, you say that, but I'll tell Derek you right Henry. now, if you want, if you if you gave me a choice on spending money between Saquon Barkley and T Higgins, it is Saquon Barkley in a landslide. That dude can run oh, and he can catch the ball oh, out that. of backfield. Oh, you guys don't watch him enough, apparently. A puddle of when he's healthy, that dude's puddle. the best back in the league next to McCaffrey. I would just be a puddle over here, just an absolute puddle if we make a move like that. We spend sixteen million, eighteen million dollars on a on a running back with the holes that this team has. Oh my gosh, Tom! Reaped out for the 49ers. Well, first off, they 49ers they, didn't have a bunch of holes before then. Yeah, they they 
made a luxury trade that they were able to do because right. they had a, a full-on roster, which, by the way, was a second, third, fourth, and fifth round pick. So, I mean, depending on how you look at it, it was quite a steep price. And it's yet to really bear fruit because they haven't won at all yet. So we'll see, but right. I don't know. I, I feel like me and Reed are on the same page when it comes to running backs. You just they, – they are – When a, was the last time a big free agent running back was signed in it in – it, and it proved fruitful. Marshawn, probably. That's McCaffrey. That was a that was a trade, right? That was a trade. Yeah, but they paid him. Who is Mister Tired? That is Mouse Cop. The player formerly known as Mouse Cop. Sorry. He's it is. Known as that. And they they did not actually make that contract. The Panthers made that contract. Correct, but it worked. Which means they gave them the signing bonus and everything else that's associated with that like year one, two deal. Correct, but you asked me so. who made the contract, but it worked. All right, I want to get into something else here before we get out of here today. All right, Tom, we got um, the Reds' caravan starts today. Hey, Spooky Nook, right? What's that? It's, I think it starts at Spooky Nook in Hamilton. Okay, I didn't know that. Um, as a team employee and being one of the broadcasters, I had to go every single year on the Reds' caravan. Right? Same old true now for Tommy Thrall and John Sadak. My dad's even part of it, still going out. Chris Welsh goes on one, right? Okay. Well, I have always said that the best thing a Reds player could do is to go on the Reds caravan. And here's why. When you get out there, and it's one thing to live your life every day, you're driving from your apartment, or if you buy a house here in town, you're a Reds player, and you drive to the ballpark, and you turn around and drive home after the ballpark. You have very little connection with the fans. Very, very little. You know, that you have a private place to park. It's behind a, 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 an encaged garage. Um, you know, if you want to stop your car and sign a couple of autographs on your way into the ballpark or out of the ballpark, you can. If not, eh. your bus pulls right in on the road. You don't even have to look at a fan. The Reds Caravan is a phenomenal experience to realize, yeah, you know, you can get caught up in, I'm making all this money and, you know, I got to be productive and I got to do this and I got to do that. But when you go on a caravan, you realize, even though you might only be a baseball player, and in the grand scheme of things, okay, how well a baseball player or a baseball team does compared to real stuff in the world is negligible. But for a lot of people, when you get on this Reds caravan and you come up even to Hamilton, although still a part of greater Cincinnati, but now you start getting into places like Parkersburg, West Virginia, or you get into Marion, Ohio, or you get into Athens, Ohio, or you get into Lima, or you get into these small little country towns, Grayson, Kentucky, and you, and you actually are forced to meet damn near everybody that shows up. And in most of those, that's what it is. Most of the people there you will meet on most of these stops because most of them are very small. You only have a big stop at nighttime, your last stop of the night. So like those will always be in towns like Columbus or Louisville or Lexington, places like that. Even Nashville now. And I've always said, you know, 
the best way to sort of stay grounded and to try to at least give yourself a chance to stay grounded and to stay in tune of what, what you do during the summer and how it impacts so many people's day-to-day -day life. It can be, a, fa it can be a, a farmer on a tractor. It could be the post office guy in Athens. It could be the, the guy who's working in a mill um, in pick a spot in Ohio or Kentucky. And they listen to every single game, every single day. Well, I don't know the specifics of all of this, but even before there was something with Major League Baseball and what, you know, the players union stepped in on this deal and how much you could ask players to do in the offseason. The Reds will never admit this, their front office. But one of the things that gets deeper under their collective skin more than anything else is when you ask the big guys, whoever they are on any given year, when you ask the big guys to go on the Reds' caravan. And believe me, this isn't digging ditches, but I got to tell you, it's exhausting. You leave by 7 o'clock every morning. You're on the bus of Winnebago for hours at a time. Every time you step off the bus, you got to be on for an hour and a half, and that's four or five times during the day. And the last stop, you might sign 2,000 autographs. It's a long day. You're not getting to the city you're actually going to sleep in to the hotel until like 11 o'clock at night, and you've been going since 7 a.m. Again, not digging ditches, but it ain't an easy deal. But when you sit there and look at this Reds caravan this year, I mean, if I were Phil Castellini, I would be pulling my hair out. All of these young players, the only thing you have asked them to do the entire winter, two things, stay in shape and come in for Reds Fest for two days. That's the only thing you've asked them to do for the six months that they're off baseball. But you would think it is like asking them to give up their firstborn child to go on the Reds' caravan. And this is no disrespect to anybody. Because all these guys might turn out to be great major league players. The only guy that is spending any significant time just signed a contract last week, Brent Suter. He's a Cincinnati guy. He's not even gotten a paycheck from this team yet. And he's going on the caravan. You've got Chase Petty. And don't, don't tell me about what he's going to be or not going to. I don't care. I'm talking about what he is now. A prospect. Edwin Arroyo. Jay Allen II. Carson Spires. Blake Dunn. Cam Collier. Sal Stewart. Let me give it up to Andrew Abbott. He's actually going on one. Rhett Louder, Ty Floyd. Am I missing something here? You've got guys in Matt McLean <laughs> and Ellie De La Cruz and Spencer Steer and Edward Encarnacion Strand and Hunter Green and Nick Lodolo and all these guys that have not even been in the big leagues for two full years, and they can't spend at least one or two days on a Reds caravan. You forgot Gapper. 
Gappers <laughs> made the trip. Uh, They're very th- focused th- on finishing third in the if NLC. I, if I'm going to be serious, I agree with Tom. This this list is pretty terrible. Buck uh, Farmer is the headline act on the South Tour. Buck Farmer. Unfortunately, our, my good friend and yours, Tom, Ian Jabot, had, had to withdraw. He, he was going to do it. He had to, I guess, he had business to take care of. Uh, he had to get a true English breakfast. In Europe, that's right. He had to get a muffin in the, in the Scottish eggs. So, sorry for Ian Jabot. But, yeah, this is a bad list. I can't – who, who when, you, when you were there, who were the guys that would go on it? Well, I got to tell you, and it's been brought up in the chat. Bruce – guys two, like Bruce would go on the it, The right? two guys that were the best in the years that I was there, and there have been others in prior years, because the, the caravan was a big deal for a long time. It went away. When the Castellini group bought the team, they brought it back. I have a feeling Adam Dunn wasn't on the on the caravans a whole lot. Ken Griffey Jr. Sure, <laughs> right, right. By far and away, the two best, the two best without fail, were Brandon Phillips and Jay Bruce. Todd Frazier was also in that group, and believe it or not, I tell you who went even after he signed for big money was Homer Bailey. Really, he went. Now again, there was some kind of. There was some kind of uh, clause written in the current collective bargaining agreement, which is keeping technically uh, these teams from asking the players to do it. But the players are well aware of what it's all about because when they're younger, they do go on it. I'm talking about minor league, a lot of the guys I just mentioned. They get it. So they could walk in and say, hey, look, I know what that CBA thing stays. But, 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 but you know what? At least for one day, I'm going to go to fill in the blank. I think it's. I just think it. It is another example of Major League Baseball being so out of touch with their fans. This is the kind of thing that a number of teams do around Major League Baseball. The Cubs do it. The Cardinals do it. The Brewers do it. There are a lot of others that do it. Go on these caravans. And and unless you're a hardcore like just follower of the franchise, okay. Your seven-year-old little boy or girl who watches the Reds games at night has no idea who Rhett Louder is. Right? Right. No clue. Now, you all of a sudden have Hunter Green sitting up there. This is where the sport just completely loses connection by even putting something like that into a collective bargaining agreement. I think it's a shame. I agree with you. I agree. I agree. Fully. It makes me crazy. Zach Cozart was another one. Forgive me. So thank you very much, Alex Wallace, for pointing I that out. Because, uh, because Zach Cozart was another. Corky Miller is a legend. I mean, he's one of the most popular guys on the stops. He goes out. Is there another small market? I mean, my dad is 81 years old. He has never missed a Reds caravan. Is there another market that covers as much geographic area as the Cincinnati Reds? Well, like small market. I mean, obviously, like the Yankees and the, the Dodgers and the Cubs. Are, well, you are, talking about population, or are you talking about land mass? J- j- land, like they they. Well, nobody I mean, has a land mass that uh, that uh, Arizona and Colorado have. Because Just right, but they don't have the populations. Right. Yeah. Because the Reds and the Braves kind of share the South, right? Like when you when you talk about like yep. you go you go down yep. Kentucky's Reds country. Yep. Um, a good majority of Tennessee is Reds country, and then you, you get down to the southern part of Tennessee, and then it starts turning into Braves country. 
and that that goes that's right. across the entire SEC area. That's kind of right. Thing. But uh, Nick Kirby points out he's right on this one. Here was another thing in that CBA. While you had all those other players I just mentioned, the Hunter Greens, the Lodolos, blah blah blah, all those guys were at Reds Fest. But you may have noticed none of the prospects were at Reds Fest because in their case, in the new CBA. They cannot do anything for their major league team from November and December. Nothing. That's wild. Mm. All right. Uh, Tomorrow, we're going to have Marty Brenneman on. We'll ask him about this. He's going to be on the Reds caravan. Mm. But he's going to join us tomorrow because he can't on Wednesday. Because he'll be tied up with the caravan Wednesday. But he can't join us tomorrow. We'll have Brian Billick tomorrow. Um, and again, you see Kansas tonight. We'll talk about that. Casey, Lindsay, have a great day. Thank you, Tom. We Thanks, didn't mean Tom. to get you all riled up today, Casey. What? You were all fired up today. Well, this morning. I don't this think we... This morning. You I, were really fired up. Off air, I was very heated. <laughs> but good thing we didn't get into that conversation. because Well, just... we're going to get into it tomorrow because it was asked in the chat today. Make sure you guys avoid the elevators over here, by the way, in this building. The lights are out. Found that out. The what? The lights. I was, I was, we, were, we were talking about some of the issues this building has had over the past couple of weeks. Yeah. I got in the elevator to go upstairs to the bathroom this morning. Uh, the lights are out. Complete blackness when I was going upstairs. Listen, it's a 100-year-old building. It's being, <laughs> it's being reclaimed. These are, the kind of, these are the growing pains that you have when you, when at you least renovate got, an old I'll, building. I'll Listen, as a guy who owns a 95-year-old house. Yeah. At least, we got, at least we got through the show with no Wi-Fi issues today. That's, anytime we can do that on a day, that's a good day for me. Hmm. But just so we know, we have a lightage, uh, issue, lighting issue over there in the elevator. That's not good. No, it's not, Tom. It's not good. Where's the lawnmower man when you need it? Uh, exactly. Because you know he has some extra light bulbs tucked away <laughs> oh, somewhere yeah. in his backpack. Oh, yeah, he, he made does. it a full 120 minutes. A full 120 <laughs> minutes. It was in the overtime. It was in the That's overtime. That's right, in overtime. <laughs> that, that, we, that we slipped up and threw some slander. Okay. All right. Well, we thank everybody for being with us. We certainly thank. And we thank all the members at uh, City Beat. <laughs> because I'm telling you, Part of this time next year, we what will be that? on that list for best sports coverage in Cincinnati. I agree. And Alex Wallace put this in here. We are going to endorse a candidate. We turned down our candidacy. They didn't give it to us, but we turned it down. We declined their nomination. Sure. We are going to endorse a candidate. So get on citybeat.com and vote for Pardon the Punctuation. They have not put out – they did not put out a podcast in the final nine months of 2023. So that's who we want to win. That's who we want to win. <laughs> what is that? I don't know. They, that they did not put out a podcast. Who after is that? And that? They got my vote. They got my vote. We endorsed them. I don't know who that is. For best sports coverage. They didn't put a single thing out for the final nine months of the year. Why are we slandering somebody? Is that somebody that we shouldn't be slandering? No, we're not. No, we're no, not no, slandering no, no, no. We're not them. slandering. We're, we're endorsing them to win. We're saying that one of the nominees, the one of their nominees, hasn't posted any piece of content in nine months. Oh, I see. Okay. I didn't understand. But I don't so know, I don't so know it's, who that it's is. Similar, I don't know it's it is. similar to how they had the three top Reds of the year being Jonathan India, <laughs> Tyler Stevenson, and Joey Votto. Okay. All right. All right. It's okay. We're, 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 look, we're staying away from the fray. We're staying out of it. We're going to take the high road. And we will look forward to being part of that next year. Let's hope for 2024. Fair enough? Fair. 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 Okay. 
Hope everybody has a great rest of your Monday. We'll look forward to catching up with you tomorrow. Do we have box lunch coming up? Yes, we do. All right, here we go. Box lunch begins right now.